Crack fans, the NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. They're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins for all you football fans. And now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out as well. In addition to the usual bets, Everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Maybe you're a fan of a lesser-heralded team. Maybe it's the Detroit Lions. I'm just speaking off the top of my head here. I don't know any Lions fans, but maybe you do, and maybe that hypothetical Lions fan has noticed the fact that Jared Goff seems to hit his passing yards number in every game these Detroit Lions have played thus far. What you're going to do, little same game parlay. You'll take the Detroit Lions as an underdog, as they so frequently seem to be. You'll take whichever of their skill position players. Maybe it's Amon Ross St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, the Jared Goff passing yards total. You're going to parlay them together, and it's going to make things even sweeter. In fact, you can throw down on step up same game parlays once per game day all season long. Here's how it works. You're going to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use our promo code AOD to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. Again, that's code AOD only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply if you or someone you know has a gambling problem. Crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER in Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming, 1-800-NEXT-STEP-IN-ARIZONA, or 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or New Hampshire, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 877-HOPE-NY in New York, OPGR.org in Oregon, call text Tennessee Redline at 1-800-889-9789 or 1-888-532-3500 in Virginia. Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment presented by DraftKings. It's been a fairly steady start to the week on this show. We're playing about 500 ball through our first two days of picks. Of course, if this is the first episode you're tuning into this week, we're focusing on our four tour level events in what is another jam-packed week of action in the pro tennis world. Of course, on the men's side, you've got a couple of 250 events happening in Spain and Italy, both of those indoor hardcourt tournaments. Of course, on the women's side, you've got the indoor hardcourts in Romania. You've also got that WTA 500 event in in San Diego. And just a quick programming note here for this show. Yes, it's a little bit inside baseball-y, but I'm recording today's episode at 10.30 a.m. Pacific time. Why is that fact relevant to all of you Cracked Rackets listeners? Well, unfortunately, I'm recording the show before even Tuesday's play at that WTA San Diego event begins. As such, pretty difficult for our friends at DraftKings to try and project odds for Wednesday's matches if we don't even know who's competing for sure on Wednesday in San Diego. As such, the early portions of the week are going to focus on our three European events here on this show. It just makes a little bit more sense from a timing perspective. More than anything else, it makes the life of super producer Daniel Westhoff just a little bit easier and 
That's my focus in life, to make things as easy as possible for super producer Daniel Westhoff, given all of his efforts day in, day out. That said, I just wanted to provide that disclaimer for all of you listeners. It's not as though I'm avoiding the action in San Diego. It's just logistically it becomes a little bit more difficult for me to properly time out the release of this podcast if I attempt to cover everything happening in San Diego. That said, my promise to all of you Crack Rackets fans, we are going to lead every episode of the Mini Break podcast this week with a discussion about the WTA event happening in San Diego. I'll try to sneak in some previewing over on that Mini Break podcast of that event, of course. As we progress later on into the week, I am going to push back the start time for these GSP Ace of the Day segments. Try to focus at the very least on championship weekend in San Diego. That said, inside baseball out of the way. You didn't come here to learn about the logistics of this GSP Ace of the Day segment. No, you wanted to come to hear my picks, my preview of Wednesday, October 12th action across the pro tennis world. Of course, again, Three of our four events, the three tour-level events we're focusing on here on today's show, they're all indoor hardcourt events. And win indoors, back the big hitters. That's the theme of today's episode. I've got two aces of the day in mind with that theme in play, of course. As always, I also want to spend about 30 seconds to a minute touching on each of Wednesday's matches. It's going to be another fun day in the pro tennis world, of course. Before we get into those aces, a shout out, as always, to our friends at DraftKings for their support of this podcast. We finally have the resources necessary to provide daily previews to all of you listeners. This is something we sincerely hope to do throughout the course of the 2023 season. And if you would like these shows to continue, let us know on social media, at Crack Rackets, at AL Gruskin, at DraftKings as well. That's the big thing we can ask all of you to do if you are part participating in the daily action or you're ready to put your money where your mouth is moving forward we do ask of course that you turn to our friends at the DraftKings Sportsbook who of course we are immensely grateful for their continued support with that said let's get into it Wednesday October 12th in the pro tennis world I've got two aces for all of you listeners let's start on the WTA side one of the and I know I keep using this phrase but we've now reached the point of the season where we can start making some sweeping conclusions about the years certain players have had since the start of of, you know January 2022 and One of the phrases I keep using, I know non-negotiables has been a new thing we've worked in uh, to our podcast of late, spreading the court, another Bradley Klonism we've worked into our podcast of late. The latest, though, has been discussing the scale of breakout stars on both the men's and women's side in this 2022 season. I know I keep using capital B breakout stars and lowercase b breakout stars. Well, ace of the day number one involves one of those lowercase b breakout stars, a player who hasn't established himself in the top 20. You know, it wasn't a Radicanu-like run where from outside the top 50, they come in and in their first six months of action win a Grand Slam title. No, it wasn't a capital B breakout But it was at minimum a lowercase b breakout. And had Wimbledon offered points this season, maybe we would be talking about Julie Niemeyer as one of the breakout stars of 2022. The 23-year-old currently sits at number 74 in the rankings, reached a career high of number 72 at the end of September this year. And, you know, simply put, 
It's been a spectacular year for the 23-year-old German. You look for Niemeyer overall on the year. She's 38-20 and 20 here this season. The big runs, round of 16 U.S. Open, quarterfinals Wimbledon. Of course, she also made a quarterfinal in Lausanne this season as well. 23-15 and 15 overall at the tour level, and a lot of those matches have been qualifying play, but you look for Nehemiah, who made final round qualifying at the Australian Open, a three-set loss to Ariane Hartono. Obviously, Hartono has been a fringe top 100 player throughout the course of the year, but as things continue to progress, you know, goes through qualifying in St. Petersburg, makes the first round there. Goes through qualifying in Monterey, makes the first round there. Goes through qualifying at Roland Garros, makes the first round there before a tough three-set loss to former Roland Garros finalist Sloane Stevens. With that sort of qualifying success compounded with what she's done at the ITF level, and again, if she's 23-15 and 15 in tour-level play, that means she's 15-5 and five when she's dipped her toes into ITF events throughout the course of this season. Establishing herself as a top 100 player just allowed her to get into main draws. And you look for her since getting into that Roland Garros round of 128. She wins a match in Bad Hamburg. Quarterfinals Wimbledon, where she beats Conteve, Serenko, Watson before the three-set loss to Maria. Quarterfinals Losen, where she's knocked out by Potapova. Again, wins over Kennan, Putenseva, and Jung Chin Wen before a very, very tight three-set loss to Iga Svantec that I know my dear friend and returning champion on our Crack Rackets podcast, David Kane, makes a very strong argument that Nehemiah probably not should have won that match, but very well could have knocked off the 2022 uh, U.S. Open champion in straight sets, of course. For Nehemiah, she follows that up, goes to Parma, qualifies there, gets into the main draw. Then a very impressive first-round victory, 6-2, and two, over third seed Anna Bogdan in round number one here in Romania. And I know that's a full-season recap on Nehemiah, but just in case you don't understand why I refer to the 23-year-old as a lowercase b breakout star here this season, not only has she reached her career high, not only has she established herself as a top 100, top 75 player, but... The weapons for Nehemiah, dare I say, excuse me, I'm choking up as I get so excited about them, they're non-negotiables. They're undeniable. I'm not saying Nehemiah is a direct entry into Serena Williams' Power Tennis Country Club. I am saying her weapons, we need to start thinking about her in the conversation. She's not even quite at golf privileges yet, right? But if she wants to come caddy for a summer, if she wants to just hang out and sort of acclimate herself to the environment... You know, Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club members look at Niemeyer and they say, okay, she's got some characteristics we like. The backhand is just an explosion. Again, the fluidity of the forehand swing, her ability to not only absorb, redirect pace, but could create pace from the center of the court. And it's the ease at which that power is generated, right? You feel like with certain power players, think about an Arena Sabalenka, right? Who you just feel like she's swinging so hard on every point. And as such, you can completely understand why she hits the cover off of the ball from time to time. With Nehemiah, it's almost Rabakina-esque. And she doesn't quite have Rabakina's size from a height perspective, but it's just like the swing is so easy. It's so natural. The contact point, I don't want to say it's perfect every time, but allows that ball to explode through the court. Niemeyer, just simply put, has weapons that have to be trifled with. And you look, uh, that should not be trifled with, excuse me. And you look for Niemeyer holding serve 68.2% of the time at the tour level. But 
at the ITF level, she hit 76.9% this season. You know, again, you got to adjust for competition overall for Nehemiah. She holds serve around 71% of the time, which is your average of a top 50 player on the WTA Tour and speaks to the upside Nehemiah or it speaks to the proficiency of that serve already, as well as the upside the 23-year-old can continue to tap into. Of course, excellent contact points on the return of serve. And you look for Nehemiah, she's breaking serve. Career average is 41.9% in ITF level events. That would translate to a top 10 number if adjusted for top 50 competition. But perhaps more significantly, you know, 35.1% this season, which is 0.7% below your average of a top 50 player. But the key is it flashes, you know, how, how rock solid she is off both wings. She doesn't have these dramatic backhand, uh, backswings. She doesn't have a dramatic grip one side or the other. She's just, everything is fluid. Everything is easy for Nehemiah. And, you know, big picture, what does the 23-year-old need to improve on? Well, she's an excellent anticipator. I love the speed and the power of her first step. She can definitely become more athletic, though, moving forward, turn a 23-year-old body into a 25-year-old's body in two additional years in the weight room because strength is certainly not an issue for Nehemiah. I actually think she's a pretty fluid mover as well. It's just not your traditional tennis body type. That said, you do feel like, you know, with another year of sprints, another two years of sprints, as her legs continue can continue to get stronger as that movement continues to improve. All the skills are right there for Nehemiah to still take another leap because, again, physically, she kind of has a teenager's body. Doesn't quite have that adult body yet, right? Still growing into her frame. There's a lot to like about Nehemiah here this season. And again, you look for Nehemiah overall on the year 38 and 20. That abides by the two thirds rule. You look for Nehemiah made. You know, won 125K in Makarska earlier this season, won a 60K in Zagreb as well. And then, you know, the quarterfinal at Wimbledon, round of 16 U.S. Open, quarterfinals in Lausanne. She has proven her weapons, her skill set, her physicality does translate already to the WTA Tour level. With all, you know, while I say that about Nehemiah, with all due respect, I'm not sure I can quite say that yet about her opponent tomorrow, 21-year-old Camilla Rakimova. You look for Rakimova, who won the 60K in the Bronx, then ran, you know, took the momentum of that to get into as a lucky loser to the U.S. Open main draw, played a really fun first-round match against Caroline Garcia. You look for Rakimova here this week. Uh, impressive victories for her in qualifying over Doden, over Select Mateva, then a win 2-4 and four in round number one over qualifier Olga Danilovic here this week. You know, you look for Rakimova. It's been a career season, no doubt about that. For the 21-year-old, she reached a career-high number 90 in the rankings after winning that 60K in the Bronx in August. She's 24 and 24 overall this season, but 19 and 20 at the tour level, made a semifinal in Bogota back in April, made quarterfinals Melbourne at the start of the season as well. Now, you know, look, there's definitely been some struggles for her. Wasn't the greatest clay court season for Rakimova. That said, Rakimova's also got some serious power. And, you know, in particular, you look for Rakimova from a big picture standpoint. She's also someone who I don't want to say is going to be an elite server, but the best version of Rakimova is someone who's holding over that 71% number average of a top 50 player and who is able to create easy plus one opportunities for herself behind the 
successful placement of that first serve behind her aggressive mentality, the spot she can hit with her first strike tennis that she plays. You know, that said, and not to be a little bit briefer on the Rakimova summary than I was Nehemiah, I suppose I went a little longer on Nehemiah because I'm trying to pitch the case for her tomorrow. I just think Nehemiah is better at everything right now than Rakimova. Rakimova may be a slightly better mover, but the difference in the physicality between the two is, you know, the gap is not so big to make up for the clear weapons advantage that belonged to Julian Nehemiah. And go rewatch Nehemiah's first round match against Anna Bogdan. Anna Bogdan, by the way, one of just nine top 50 WTA players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. And yet the match was on Nehemiah's racket. It was played on her terms. She was taking every return early on the rise, just punishing anything left short. And I worry for Rakimova from a second-serve perspective. I also worry for Rakimova, who doesn't hit the biggest returns of serve. And, you know, if you can't make Nehemiah uncomfortable early in the rally, she's just so fluid, so confident from every uh, perspective, every aspect, every aspect's the wrong word, every position. There's the word I was looking for. Every position on the court. Again, mathematically, eye test-wise, I just think... Nehemiah at this point of her career is a little bit better than everything at everything than Rakimova. And by the way, Nehemiah, August 99, Rakimova, August 2001. Yeah, that feels like about right. That Nehemiah is about two years ahead progression wise than Rakimova. Obviously, will Rakimova reach the sort of slam success that Nehemiah had this season? I don't know. You know, it's really hard to make one quarterfinal at a slam in singles in your career. Nehemiah has already done that at age 23. This is a bet on Nehemiah that she will be one of those players who takes another leap forward next season because, again, the weapons, the aggressive mindset, I think it's undeniable, and I think on an indoor hard court, she's going to be able to thrive. So give me Nehemiah to advance tomorrow and knock off Rakimova. Now, you want to go with the money line? I'm not going to blame you for that decision. You look for Nehemiah tomorrow, minus 170. That's actually a very reasonable money line. Not, you know, not exceptional value, but you're laying a little juice at minus 170, but it's not an extraordinary amount of juice, particularly considering the fact that you look for Nehemiah. She's a 70.4% favorite, according to our friends at the Tennis Abstract, uh, via the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. That said, you can take that minus 170 down to minus 105 if you take the game spread. Nehemiah's minus three and a half games tomorrow against Rakimova. And yeah, I do think, especially in the first six games, I think it's going to be three all through the first six games. I think each of them are going to hold those first three service games. I think that's where Nehemiah begins to separate herself. I just don't think Rakimova can sustain the level of power tennis consistently enough needed to match Nehemiah at this stage of the 23-year-old German's career. So give me Nehemiah to advance tomorrow. I also think she's going to advance fairly comfortably as well. You look for Nehemiah here this season. Again, 23-15 and 15 in tour-level matches compared to the 19-20 and 20 record of Rakimova. But perhaps more importantly, you look for Nehemiah here this season against opponents ranked outside the top 100. A very successful 25-12 and 12 record. And, you know, you look for Nehemiah since uh, the start, uh, excuse me, since the end of April, the 60K in Zagreb that she won. She's 20-5. and 5 against opponents ranked outside the top 500 uh, top 100 this season. So at this point again, those weapons, the progression, it's clear. Since the end of April, Nehemiah beats everyone who she's supposed to beat uh, during that stretch of time. Only one, two, three, four, five, six 
three set matches in those 25 matches she's played against opponents ranked outside the top 100 during this stretch of time. And, you know, by the way, one, two, three, four of those six matches were five of the losses she was dealt. So even when Nehemiah loses to a player ranked outside the top 100, and by the way, one of those players she lost to outside the top 100 was Bernarda Perra, 7-6 in the third. That shouldn't count. As Para is now top 50, and it was also 7-6 in the third. So 20-4 and four against players ranked outside the top 100 since the end of April. Give me Niemeyer to win. I think she's going to win comfortably as well. I'm not going to take the money line. I'll take the minus 3.5 games. Minus 105 odds? I mean, that's a bargain. So we're going to take it. And you know what? I'm feeling so confident. Not a full unit because... I'm still somewhat of a wuss, but we'll go half a unit here. I know it's still early in the week, round number two. Maybe you didn't get the chance to see Rakamova play, nor Nehemiah in round number one. I did. I test numbers, both backing Nehemiah. We'll take her minus three and a half games tomorrow, minus 105 over Rakamova. Half a unit to win 0.47 in return. That said, quickly, I know we've we've sort of changed around the format here. I go around the board a little bit earlier than I used to. In these segments, but let's just look at the Cluj Napoca draw. Sorry, I had to Cluj Napoca. I know that's not how it's pronounced, but I, I had to throw that in there for all of you listeners. Look, I'm averaging four hours of sleep. Okay, I acknowledge my brain has gone a little bit funky in the best possible sort of ways. But sometimes you crack rackets, listeners are going to hear me say some things for the next three days. I suppose as we're on week three of the Tennis Channel grind, where you're like, I'm sorry, was that English? out of Alex, and sometimes it is, but, you know, more often than not, I should say it is, but every so often, the Cluj Napoca switches, uh, slides out, I should say, sneaks out. That's the term I was looking for there. Um, Anyways, (laughs) looking through the rest of the matches, Magda Lynette, who's been really solid over the past few weeks, a couple of quarterfinals uh, for the for the player who's just hovering right around top 50 uh, right now. She's taking on the talented 21-year-old Chinese woman, Wang Xinyu. Of course, Wang Xiyu, uh, the lefty, earned a very, very impressive victory in straight sets here on Tuesday. If anything, I like the over in this match. I think the righty Wang Xinyu is going to have success moving Magda Lynette around the court. Magda Lynette, really the .75 version of Belinda Benchich. Yeah, she moves a little bit better. is a little bit more proficient from a defensive standpoint. But, you know, while she generates solid pace off of both wings, I don't think has a definitive uh, weakness in either of her ground strokes. Solid is not spectacular. And I, when I watch Wang Xinyu play, her ability to open up angles for herself, her ability to take aggressive swings if you leave a ball a little bit short, I think this matchup is going to be pretty close. I think, you know, of all the underdogs on the day, plus 170 for Wang Xinyu doesn't sound atrocious. At the same time, I probably like the over, over 21 and a half games in this match, over two and a half sets, which are both plus 120 odds or higher. I'd probably take the over there. I would lean down McGolfi, who is plus 105 against Lucia Bronzetti. Bronzetti's been a little bit more consistent over the past five months, but I really like the game of former world junior number one, Del McGolfi. I really liked what I saw at her at the U.S. Open. I didn't hate what I've seen from her over the past few months. Again, I take the over, over 21 and a half games, over two and a half sets in that match. I'll tell you this, Harriet Dart, who I made the case for yesterday on this show, she was dominant. In round number one in Cluj, Napoca. Uh, she's minus 105 underdog tomorrow as she takes on Anna Bondar. Here's what I have to say. And I watched a lot of these two of late because we were on the call for both of them over on T2. 
the pace with which Dart hits the ball, and she's also, I would say, Belinda Bencic, maybe point eight to Magdalenette's point. Well, Magdalenette's had a clearly better year than Harriet Dart. Magdalenette, also 40-year Dart senior. You know, Dart hits great line drive, and Dart's really good at taking that ball early on the rise off both wings, trying to move forward, trying to impose herself pace into that Anna Bondar forehand, that's a concern for Bondar in this match, particularly, again, given A, how well Harriet Dart has played since the start of the grass court season, establishing herself as a top 100 player really for the first time. B, given the surface, indoor hard court, the quicker conditions seem to favor Dart slightly. So, again, over two and a half sets, over 21 and a half and a half games, which is minus 120. The over two and a half sets, of course, always plus odds. I don't hate the overs in this match. I would probably lean Dart at minus 105 before I take on a Bondar. I mean, bet at Diana Yastremska at your own peril. She was plus 115. I have it listed on my sheet. She's moved to plus 105 since I put my sheet together here today. She should not be an underdog against Jasmine Paolini, who's under 500 through the course of the year. And I know Diana Yastrzemska was down 5-2 in the third in her first-round match, and by earning that victory, actually snapped an eight-match losing streak, which is tough for the Ukrainian, no doubt. But two power players, and it's an indoor hardcourt, which in my opinion is a surface that favors Yastrzemska. She made the final in Lyon earlier this season. Paolini's really been a little bit more clay court-centric, which, of course— Makes sense, given how big her ground strokes can be from time to time. I would take Yastrzemska plus 105 if I had to wager on this match. Maybe you want to take the overs in this. That's not a bad play. Now, I'm not wagering on this match because we have a rule, a list of players who, no matter what, even if it's plus odds, we're not gambling on them. And Diana Yastrzemska is firmly on that list for me. Uh, But you watch the 22-year-old Ukrainian play, and if you catch her during the right five minutes, you'll be like, wait— could Yastrzemska be number one in the world someday? And I know that's a bold pronouncement to make, but the power tennis she's able to play with, the athleticism she possesses, I'm still intrigued by Diana Yastrzemska. Only 22 years old, right? Still plenty of tennis, hopefully, ahead of her. That said, those are your matches tomorrow in Romania. Again, you look at the WTA matches on the board right now in San Diego. Pagula minus 575 over Vandeweghe. Vandeweghe a three-set winner over Kennan in round number one. This is the sort of match Pagula feasts on. That said, minus five and a half games is just too much. As good as Pagula is as a returner, you got to respect the Coco Vandeweghe serve the first strike. So I'll stay away from that. Bedosa minus 475 against Luisa Chirico. There was a time where it felt like Chirico might be the woman in American women's tennis moving forward. Now a bunch of injuries since then. That said, Chirico, a very impressive come-from-behind victory over Ali Risk in round one. Look, Bedosa hasn't been healthy all season long, really since January. She has a ton of points to defend with that Indian Wells run coming off her resume here now in the month of October. And she's still alive in the points race. So... This is a big moment and a massive opportunity for Bedosa to court, sort of steady the ship and re, you know, get her game back to where she wants it to be heading into 2023. That said, I just haven't seen enough of her, so it's a stay away from me. I want no part of it. Uh, you look at Danielle Collins minus 800 tomorrow as she takes on Martina Trevisan. Collins a six game spread, a uh, six and a half game spread, excuse me, which you can get plus odds on. Interesting. I, I think that's going to get knocked down to minus five and a half, and it'll be probably around minus 110, minus 115 odds. It's just five and a half is so many games, right? And it's like, all right, let's say it's a six, you know, well, I guess a six love set kind of confirms things. But like 
a four and three win that could be extraordinarily dominant where it's just like, yeah, Collins got up breaks early at the start of set one, early at the start of set two, and kind of coasted from there. That doesn't cover a five and a half game spread. So unless I'm confident it's going to be an absolute blowout, I should have taken that for Tommy Paul in his first round match uh, this week. Unless you're 1,000% confident, I just get a little bit scared by those game spreads. But the idea of Collins blowing out Martina Trevisan actually sounds very, very likely. So... Will I sprinkle something on the minus five and a half games? I'm not saying the answer is yes. I'm not saying the answer is definitively no to that question either. That said, as promised at the start of this podcast, I will lead every mini break episode for the remainder of this week with more WTA San Diego talk as from a scheduling perspective, it is just the trickiest for us to cover here on this show. Hopefully uh, that will be satisfactory to all of you tennis fans. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That said, let's move over to the men's side of the action. And with that in mind, let's get to ace of the day number two. I'm going to be a little bit quicker on this one because Arthur Rinderkanesh was one of our aces of the day yesterday. And shout out to Rinderkanesh who gets the job for us done. Three and three win over Carlos Taberner. Covers his three and a half game spread. I talked to you already about why I think indoor hard courts are so advantageous for the former Texas A&M All-American Arthur Rinderkanesh who now uh, is looking to make a fifth quarterfinal at the tour level here this season. All four of his previous quarterfinals have come on hard courts, in particular two indoor hard court quarterfinals of late in Tel Aviv and Metz, France. That actually matches the performance of Constant Lestien. You look for Lestien. He is also coming off of back-to-back quarterfinal or further runs. He makes quarterfinals in San Diego, semifinals in Tel Aviv. Those are the first two pro, uh, excuse me, tour-level quarterfinals in the career of Lestien, who you look overall for Lestien at the ATP level. He's seven and five, or excuse me, you look for him overall in his career, seven and eight. Overall at the ATP level, but 6-2 and two here this season. He got a 7-6-4 all win over Sebi Baez. Yes, Lestian beat Arthur Rinderkanesh a few weeks ago when they played in the Vancouver Challenger Final. That was an outdoor hard court match. That match also a three-set finish. Six love, four, six, six, three victory for Lestian. They've also played one time prior to that. That was a... Very tightly fought 7-6-7-6 victory on indoor hard courts for Arthur Rinderknecht back in February 2021. I just think this surface, the indoor hard court, give me the Rinderknecht serve into that funky grip. Not big backswing, but not smaller. You would not describe the constant Lestien forehand backswing as condensed. There's definitely some moving pieces to that. And with how well Rinderknecht executed, dropped just two points on his first serve in the first round. I think he's going to have a ton of opportunities to play plus one tennis on the serve. I also think Lestien's second serve sits up. It just does. And for Rinderknecht, who breaks serve under 20% of the time, which is below the average of the top 50 players on the ATP Tour, the thing is he only needs one break 
or you know a couple of break chances to get the job done ultimately because of how proficient he is on the serve and I think he'll have those one to two chances against Lestian who will throw in a couple of sitting ducks who definitely moves the ball well around the court but I think physically Rinder Kanesh is up for the test I thought via the eye test myself his weapons look in tune enough right now that I just think Weapons-wise, physicality-wise, experience-wise, and for Rinder Kanesh, he's coming off of that loss in Vancouver. You don't think that's going to be in the back of his mind? Do you? Uh, we talk about it all the time, how hard it is to beat a player twice in a row, let alone twice in the span of a month and a half. I think the pendulum shifts back to Arthur Rinder Kanesh. I think Rinder Kanesh advances tomorrow. Now, you know, he's minus 125 money line. Um Excuse me, he's minus 120 money line, and he's moved back to minus 125 when I look at this most recent update. That said, I saw it at minus 125 initially, then it moved back to minus 120. Since it's now subsequently moved back to minus 125, I'm just going to stick with the minus 120 because that's what I sent Super Producer Daniel West off. We'll see if there's any more movement to or against Arthur Rinder Kanesh, but I'm going to take the money line. Especially given the fact that the game spread, you can get Rinder Knesh minus half a game. It's minus 120. So it's what, five cents better value or whatever that is. And that's just not worth it given the track record between these two, given that they've played six and six matches, three set thrillers. I think this match is going to be close. And since the value, uh, the difference in value is negligible between the money line and the game spread, forget the game spread. Just give me Rinder Kanesh to straight up win this match. Again, I'm backing his serve, his forehand, his willingness to move forward, and the fact that I think he can match Lestien's physicality. So, and from a confidence perspective, as good as Lestien has been this season, Rinder Kanesh, quarterfinals in France, quarterfinals in Tel Aviv. Scholars have argued he's playing pretty good ball this season. Give me Rinder Kanesh, who's looking to end his year in the top 50 to win this match. Minus 120. Let's throw the full half unit. Let's rock and roll. Let's get a little bit gutsy here on today's show. Half a unit to win 0.41 in return. That's ace of the day number two. Now for a look at the rest of the board here before we wrap today's show. I am staying so far away from tomorrow's match in Hyon. Hopefully you all appreciate my pronunciation there. Hyon, Span, uh, Spain, not Gijon, not Guillon. It's Hyon. Uh, hopefully I did that correct. If any of you Spanish speakers disagree with me, you know where to find me in the DMs. Corda's minus 250 tomorrow against Munar. And, you know, again, that scares me because you, uh, by the way, Corda 68.8% favorite according to the tennis abstract. Singles forecast for what it's worth. Rinder Kanesh only a 52.4% favorite. Um, that said, I mean, I know Munar had to retire, was pretty banged up by the ending of his match against Pedro Martinez in Tokyo last week, but Munar's been a rock and has, again, earned one less total hardcore tour level victory this season than he had in any, in every year prior added together uh, at the tour level on hard courts. You know, if you add up all the hardcourt wins prior to 2022 versus the amount of hardcourt wins he has in 2022, that's probably how you say that in English, uh, Munar is one victory off here this season. So it's been a career year for Munar who just, you know what you're getting, you know, the the floor of Munar match in, match out. It's extra, you know, the, the, the gap between his floor and his ceiling 
is about as narrow as you're going to find. You know, Munar is just going to make you work physically. He's going to move you around the court. If you leave a short ball, he's going to hit the approach shot to an efficient position, and he's a better volleyer than you would expect him to be. And just going to put do enough with that first volley. I apologize for the knocks there on my microphone. That was an accident. But he's going to do enough with the first volley to, to make you in trouble. Or to put you in trouble, excuse me. I don't know if there's a—I mean, that's not true— but is there a player right now whose perception of his ceiling versus your perception of his floor is greater right now than Sebi Korda? Some scholars have argued the answer to that question is no. The young American, you know, to quote my girl, I think it's Katy Perry. Is it Katy Perry or it's pink? Where you're hot and you're cold. You yes and you no. I'm in the Tennis Channel studio, so I'm going to whisper this next line. You're in or you're out. You're up. But you're down. Again, sleep deprived people. This is how I get by. You look for the 22 year old Corda. 33 and 22 over his last 52 weeks, 26 and 19 here this season. But you look for Corda in first round match. Actually, that's that's a really nice stat for Sebi Corda. He's 14 and 5 in first matches of events this season, 9 and 5 in second matches. I don't know why my perception of Corda is that he hasn't had a good season. Maybe it's because I expected Corda to really pop this year and I think it's pretty safe to say he has not really popped this year. You know, 26 and 19 is solid, but currently ranked number 47 in the rankings. I think I would have expected him to to make a mini leap and maybe end the season top 30, top 25, which didn't ultimately happen. That said, there's still a little bit time left to right the ship. And again, I like quarter tomorrow, minus 250. I think an indoor hard court, six, give me the six foot six guy over the five foot ten guy, and that's being a little bit generous, probably to Munar's height. Weapons advantage goes to Corda. He does have the discipline to hang with Munar and grind things out a little bit from the baseline. That said, when Munar does inevitably leave a ball short, Corda's got the sort of weapons to make him pay for that. That said, I just, you look for Sebi Corda of late, you know, lost to Cressy in Tel Aviv, lost to Senego in France, although I guess I suppose Senego goes on to win the tournament. Five sets to Tommy Paul, U.S. Open, 7 6 in the third to Isner and Cincy. 6-3 in the third to Emer in D.C. That's actually not that bad of a stretch. But again, there's just no there's no eye-popping results, I suppose, for Sebi Corda, at least recently. You know, you look at some of the eye-poppers. Yeah, he played a fantastic match earlier this season against Rafael Nadal at Indian Wells. And, you know, got a really good win over Alcaraz in Monte Carlo as well. But... I want to see some eye-popping results or something significant from Corda before we end this 2022 season because, you know, we talk so much here on these shows about the excitement of the young Americans, and I always bring Corda into that conversation. And of late, I don't want to say I get laughed out of the room, but I think I'm a little bit higher on Corda right now than some people are coming in out of 2022. So... Anyways, I want to watch that match as a fan. That's a stay away for me, but that's probably the match I'm watching closest tomorrow in Guillaume as you look at tomorrow's matches there. Uh, obviously, I mentioned already Rinder Kanesh taking on Lestien. You've also got Tommy Paul who cruised in round number one. I expect him to do so again against Nicolas Alvarez Verona. Pablo Creño Busta should cruise against Diego Montero. And then, you know, if you want to take an over, over two and a half sets in Pedro Cashin taking on Alexi Vatutin. Um, so that's your action happening over in Gion. You've also got the ATP action happening in Florence. Five matches on the day. Kick your feet up. 
Do not wager on Jensen Brooksby versus Mackie McDonald. That's an over two and a half setter. That's an over 22 and a half games. That's uh, I just want to enjoy that match and thoroughly enjoy it. <laughs> Who am I picking? Mackie coming off of the doubles title last week. I mean, Brooksby's just been pretty solid in every, you know, again, Brooksby's quietly had a really solid season in that. He just sort of legitimized all he did last year. It's like, okay, this guy is going to be in the top 50 moving forward. <sighs> again, it's a stay away. I, I would pick Brooksby to win just because he can do more things and kind of get Mackie stretched, track down a lot of what Mackie does and that said, Mackey's the sort of athlete who in the outer thirds, his improvisational skills, and you need to be able to improv against Jensen Brooksby. That's just what makes this match extraordinarily fun. So, again, I'll take the over in this one for what it's worth, tennis abstract. Uh, according to them, the favorite is Jensen Brooksby, 68.7%. You look at the other battles. Karatsev's a plus-135 underdog against Michael Emer. I mean, Karsev lost seven in a row, I think, coming into Florence. Should he really be an underdog against Emer? Maybe that's a dog you take a shot on. Uh, he wins the first set. You bet Emer. You kick your feet up. You win money either way. Over two and a half sets, over 22 and a half games. That feels like a grind to me. Wolf, Cressy. I'd take Wolf plus 125. That's a fun dog, but over two and a half sets, over 23 and a half games. And then I expect Berrettini to cruise. I almost took Sasha Bublik minus two and a half games over Quarantine Mute because of the weapons advantage to Bublik that, that served to overwhelm the sometimes less than stellar size of Mute, which can be a problem for the lefty from time to time. And then I looked and I said, wait, you're betting on Sasha Bublik? Are you an idiot? And I looked in the mirror and I said, yes, you would be an idiot. If you bet on Sasha Bublik, you can enjoy him as a fan, enjoy the highs and lows, but imagine gambling on someone whose highs are that high, but lows are that low. It's a massive no thank you to me here for this GSP ace of the day. So we'll stay away from Bublik Mute, but yeah, two shot makers. That should certainly be an entertaining match. With that said, again, the theme win indoors back the big hitter so our aces of the day give me Jewel Niemeyer the 23 year old minus three and a half games over Rakamova minus 105 half a unit to win 0.47 I'll also take Rinder Kanesh minus 120 over Constant Lestien half a unit on that to win 0.41 as well of course a shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff. Our, did I just plug Tennis Point? I caught myself doing it, for the record. Leave it in, Super Producer Daniel Westhoff, since I did catch myself. But also, shout out to our friends at DraftKings for their support of this podcast. With that said, for their Super Producer Daniel Westhoff, our friends at DraftKings, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. May the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. 